I'm Dylan Stafford, and welcome to Drive Time, UCLA Anderson's podcast about some of the most interesting and ambitious people in our community. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. With me today is Brittany Blackamore, who is an alum from the class of 2016. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, you are our first alumni repeater. Uh, <laughs> so, Brittany um, is, I'm in Culver City right now, of course, where this is COVID recording. Brittany's in Irvine. And if you have ever listened to our original Drive Time episodes, Brittany was one of the very first people we interviewed back in 2016, right as she was graduating. So here we are. We are here um, four years and one week later, and uh, we're going to get to really tell two stories today. One is a professional story. Brittany's had some wonderful career outcomes, but that's honestly not the biggest story we want to tell in in uh, in the world of of what's bigger. Uh, she's discovered and pursuing a philanthropic effort with uh, a nonprofit she's created called Suitcase of Joy. And I really want to give a lot of spotlight to Suitcase of Joy. But oh, by the way, she continues to really transform her career, which was part of her original story way back when. So Brittany, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. This is this is so fun. So when, when we, we got connected about six weeks ago, and you were actually just calling to let me know about Suitcase of Joy, and, and it turned into, hey, could we get the band back together and, and record another <laughs> record another interview. So thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. My pleasure. Um, and, and I haven't told everyone. So uh, your your current company is, is Boston Consulting Group. You're a management consulting. You're working in private equity uh, consulting. That's and right. So when I say you're you're busy, I mean you're busy. And <laughs> so um, why don't we why don't we why don't we talk about suitcase of joy first? And um, and then we'll we'll talk about what's happened because uh, you went from you went from good to great to really great, uh, starting Anderson, graduating Anderson, and then since then, um, and then we'll we'll end up with some of my favorite questions about what are your favorite productivity hacks and how do you evaluate the ROI of your graduate degrees and things like that. So, Great. assuming everyone has not heard your original podcast, and you have to go back and listen to it, folks, because it's it's really interesting. Brittany went on seven global immersions <laughs> while she was in school <laughs> and really discovered her passion for global economics and, and reinvented her entire career. So that's a whole other story. Her during FEMBA story is incredible. But today we're going to talk about sort of your after FEMBA journey with Suitcase of Joy. But it does have, it does have its roots in some of your original global immersion experiences, both to Brazil mm -hmm. and to South Africa. So I'm going to close my big mouth. And, and give the floor to you and, and please kind of you know, bring people into this journey that you've been on. with Susan. Sure, great. Well, Dylan, thank you again for having me. Um, Anderson completely changed my life and we definitely talked about that in our first podcast, how I was really didn't have direction. I had uh, graduated from Pepperdine University. I studied French and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I was thinking about law school and one day I had an epiphany and we talked about that. The light bulb went on. I realized I should get an MBA. And I, I got into Anderson and it was just completely changed my, uh, my personal trajectory and my um, professional trajectory. And so I'm forever grateful for that. And it was through Anderson that I started going on these immersion, global immersion programs and exchange programs. I've always had this love for languages and just fascination with 
globes and maps and languages. And while at Anderson, I learned, I love mac global macroeconomics. I love global finance. And I remember talking in our first podcast how I didn't know what macroeconomics was. I didn't know that term before I went to Anderson, which is really embarrassing. But at the same time, I hope that's encouraging for other people who maybe don't know that or didn't know it at some point that just because you don't know something doesn't mean you can't learn it. And so Anderson opened so many doors. It was just life-changing. I'm forever grateful. It was just that moment that I got in. It was so pivotal. And I realized that the sky's the limit and I, I can become whatever it is that I want to be. And that's something I continue to, to pursue. And sometimes the target changes. But one thing I always wanted to do was to start a nonprofit. And I thought, Dylan, I had to be rich to start a nonprofit. And that's not true. Um, so I recently got... I founded Suitcase of Joy a couple of years ago. We recently got our 501c3 designation, meaning that we can accept tax-deductible donations. And I really got this idea through Anderson. Um, my first immersion program, I went to Argentina, and I saw poverty there. And then we, you know, I went with a group of Anderson friends. We went to Brazil. We were touring through favelas. And it was such a humbling experience. So I, I'm first-generation college graduate. My parents, we definitely struggled financially when I was growing up, but I had never seen poverty to this level as we were touring through these favelas or basically slums outside of Rio de Janeiro. And I remember there were these children, they were playing in this broken down car, had no windows, rusty um, car, probably had no wheels. And they were so happy to see us and they were smiling. And I, it just, my heart just broke. And I thought, why don't I have candy or a little toy that I could give to these kids. And I remember racking my brain, like what's in my backpack that I could give to these children. Of course I had nothing, nothing but a smile. And, um, you know, I continued to travel through Anderson. I did an exchange program with university of Cape town and studied there at the university, incredible experience. I remember walking and driving through South Africa and seeing the townships and, you know, one part of town, people are driving you know, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, you have these beautiful coastal views and just a couple blocks, there are people living in these, these uh, you know, shanty towns or townships. And it was just heartbreaking. And once again, I thought, why didn't I take something with me that would be so easy uh, to do? And that was really, that was the inspiration for Suitcase of Joy. I realized I can take things with me in my suitcase and give them to the children that I need and bring them joy, give them the opportunity to feel like they're being a child. And that was, that was the inception of it. So I'm very grateful to Anderson for opening up so many doors for me in my career and also in travels and giving me sort of that, um, the bravery to go where I had never gone before, to go alone into slums and take toys to kids. And it's such a rewarding experience. So uh, forever grateful to Anderson for opening those doors for me. Well, yeah, we opened the doors, but you walked through them and you walked through a lot of them with, with all of the <laughs> global immersions. And I, one, of, one of the things I love about your story is the old metaphor of the, the, the boy standing on the, on the beach throwing the starfish back into the ocean when there are many, many starfish. And the, the sort of jaded person says, you know, what are you doing? You cannot save all the starfish. And he said, well, I know, but I can save this one. Two themes that are, are there for me about how you live your life, which is you, you've already mentioned it. You, I don't have to know how to do something before I can begin to do it. That's one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin is do something now. Right. And, and, and so uh, there is that idea of, well, I'm going to go work for 40 years and become a Rockefeller 
and then I will create an orphanage and make a difference in the last 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. So you, you've mentioned the epiphany of law school or grad school, and then you also have mentioned that you you really realized, oh, I've got an, I have a conceptual constraint. I must get rich, then make a difference, mm-hmm. or I can do something now. Right. I can start even though I don't know how, I can start even though I'm not, you know, a trust fund person per se. Right, right. So, yeah. so like, tell me about a couple of these epiphanies, either the one about law school or business school, because some people who will listen to this interview, they, they still are, yes, grad school, but which grad school? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then also the one like, how did, how did these, do these thoughts come to you intuitively? Do you have a journaling exercise? Because these are big forks in the road that you're finding for yourself. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I do write a lot of things down on my phone and my notes, and I, I think through. I'm very goal-oriented, so I like to think of what I want to accomplish and then work my way backwards. What are the steps and skills and experiences that I need to accomplish that? And I've done that you know, in my career. So I was formerly a director of strategy at Experian. I, I joined Experian after I graduated Anderson, then decided I wanted to go to Boston Consulting Group. And I, I realized that I, I really like private equity consulting and venture capital consulting. And I realized I want to be an investor one day. What are the experiences and skill sets that I need to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with philanthropy. I want to build schools for children. I really believe in the power of education. The toys are fun and it gives the kids, it makes everyone happy, um, gives the kids uh, joy in otherwise un, not very joyful circumstances. Also inspires hope. Uh, and I think rewards the giver as much as the receiver. But I also want to build them schools. The more children that are getting education, they can do the same thing that you and I have done, Dylan, and people who are listening to this podcast are doing or in the process of doing is achieving dreams. And dreams, I'm very much a dreamer. And so I conceptualize, I think a lot about my dreams and I try to break them down into manageable steps. And this is very much a consulting project, right? It's, we do this in, in GAP, our global access program through Anderson. I, do it, I did it at Experian when I was working on projects. And now at Boston Consulting Group, you take something and you break it down into manageable steps and you create a framework. I do that with my dreams. I think I want to build schools. Well, how can I do this? One, nonprofit is a great way to go because now all gifts are tax deductible. Um, I want to bring joy to children. I like traveling anyway. Well, I can I can bring a backpack for me and pack all of the gifts into suitcases and I can take it uh, to these children in other countries. And for me, there was an epiphany moment, Dylan, when I realized changing the world is, it's a big task and it's, it's too big for any one person. And I think I just grew up as one of those kids that wanted to change the world. And I know there are so many other passionate people who want to change the world, but it's, it's too big for one person. I remember landing in Nairobi and just thinking, even changing just this city is too big for one person, much less the world. But I realized I can do something now. I can do something however small that it is, and I can sort of plant that seed and see what happens. And maybe that, that child will get a better education or want to pay it forward for someone else. And that's really what inspired me, is when I realized I could do something, I knew I should do something. Um, and so I packed my bags and, and went to Africa. What goes in the suitcase? <laughs> um, so it really started with me posting on social media. I had this dream. I realized I should be taking things with me, decided to go 
to Africa, posted on social media and said, hey friends, do you have gently used books, clothing, toys? And I was overwhelmed and people started giving me books, uh, any kind of child's toy um, and clothing, of course, socks, notebooks, pencils, anything school related. Uh, one also, and she's an Anderson alumna and she worked at Experian with me. She's an avid soccer player. She gave me soccer balls and that was never even occurred to me because I'm, I'm not a soccer player. That was the, my favorite gift to give is because with a soccer ball and a pump, you can make not just one child happy, you can make an entire village of children and adults very happy. Um, in Africa, you know, they'll, they, you can probably Google online, they'll, they'll make, um, they'll take rags and mud and sticks to try to create a soccer ball. You take them a nice, bright, shiny soccer ball and hand them a pump and just the kids go running. Um, it's such a joyful thing. And uh, what does that cost? $10? And um, so it was uh, Jacqueline Gantis. She gave me the soccer balls and so many other people gave. And uh, so that's what, that's what we bring. And now our mission is, is growing. Now that we're a 501c3, we have aspirations of actually building schools so that children can, can stay in school and get that primary education so that they have options. They can go to college, they can get an MBA or, or go to law school, where, wherever it is that they feel that they want to do. Um, and so we want to be a part of making that happen for these children. And it's truly very rewarding. I, I get more than I ever give. You know, long-term you've, you've told me, well, you know, Oprah builds schools, you know, I'm not Oprah, but is, is it, is it, is that kind of the long-term dream from a philanthropic point of view? Yeah. So we, so we started, I started really small, self-funded trip, not a 501c3. I went by myself and took two suitcases of these clothing and clothes and toys and books and um, and the soccer balls. And I took them to villages and city slums and started passing them out to the children. And I saw the reactions and it was just that the joy was contagious. And that's where we came up for the name Suitcase of Joy is it's very much led by joy. I never want anyone to feel obligated to give, um, to feel guilty because they have the life that they have. It's not about guilt. It's not about that. It's about bringing joy to children. And like I said, I get more joy than anyone because it's so rewarding. And there's nothing like perspective to really make you realize, oh, I have it really good. Okay, yes, we're uh, dealing with this coronavirus and there are so many things going on in the world, but we can, we can make a small difference and who knows what that's going to inspire. So I would say we started with very humble beginnings, self-funded trips, me going by myself to these city slums and villages and passing out these toys, but we have aspirations. So our, our mission at Suitcase of Joy is to bring joy and education to children around the world. Specifically, we're looking at Africa and developing nations um, where children don't have the same kind of access to education and to, to credit and, and finance and all of those things that we could take for, take for granted sometimes in, uh, in, more developed countries. And so our joy is to bring them these, these uh, moments of joy, these toys, these things that are gonna hopefully inspire them. Um, think about the impact that's gonna have on a child's life. They're six or eight years old and someone comes into their village and gives them a soccer ball and a, and a book that I would hope leave a lasting impression that one day they wanna do something nice for someone else who can't repay them. Um, and that's, that's really sort of the, the goal. That's how we started. But the dream and our vision is to bring, to sponsor education for these children. Um, you don't have to be a millionaire to build a school in Africa. I have learned. I have, um, there are nonprofits that build schools and, and we're talking, you know, like a one or two classroom like school uh, in villages 
to help keep kids in, in school so that they're getting the education. So the way it works in a lot of these villages is that kids at about nine or 11 after like grade four, they will have to, that's the end of their education because they have to make room for the younger kids to learn English, learn to read and write, learn their numbers, just basics. And a child's education stops at the age of nine or 11. We think about <laughs> what, what you can do with a nine or 11, 11 year old's education. It, the options are limited. And so if we can build these schools and keep these kids in school, they have so many more opportunities. And it's not expensive. What I have learned that you can build a school for under uh, 15, 20 grand for a little classroom in a village and think about how that changes the lives of those children for generations to come. And so our vision is to raise money and we're, we're working on it. We're already collecting donations towards uh, future trips to take, of course, the toys and all the joy and the and books and reading supplies, all these things to the kids, but we're also saving towards building schools so that those kids stay in school. Uh, I strongly believe that education can empower children to break that cycle of poverty. And education can do that in just one generation. And so I and my board, we plan to build these schools, these little classrooms. We're gonna have a plaque on them that's so you know, donated by Suitcase of Joy and we'll, we will put the names of donors if they, if they want their name on there. So you can have your name, um, on there, the, you know, the, the Dylan Stafford School of Business or donated by UCLA Anderson or, or whoever it is, you can build a school. And, um, and so that's our, that's our goal and our dream. And we are, we're, working, we're working towards that as we speak. How did you, Kenya or Nairobi has been the-, the So I started, I started in Kenya. Actually, I mean, if I'm honest, I started in Zimbabwe. I took adult clothing, clothing of mine that I had, you know, either outgrown or it was still in good condition. I took it with me to adults. Um, and that's where I realized I should bring things for kids. It's uh, probably going to be a little bit better received, but I started taking donations to Zimbabwe. I went to Kenya um, and then I went to South Africa. Uh, Experian was uh, purchasing a company, this is public, uh, in South Africa. I got, I was the only person in Experian North America who got to go and be part of the due diligence for that acquisition. So I went down to South Africa. We were looking at a company, looking at expanding credit in South Africa, which is so critically important. And I was honored to be part of that. So I had a free trip to South Africa. Mm -hmm. And what did I do? I brought things in my suitcase. And when I got a break on the weekend, I went into a couple of townships and took them soccer balls and coloring books and crayons and uh, everything that I could, could fit into my, into my suitcase. And so that's how we started. Um, it's not limited to Kenya. We're planning on going to, to Tanzania and Kenya again. Um, but really, I'd love to go back to Brazil. I'd love to go back to Vietnam. I, there are so many places, uh, Israel and Palestine, there are places where um, we could bring kids joy, but specifically want to focus on building schools and, and sponsoring education in those developing countries where it's most needed. Inspiring. I love it. And, and, and the, the Anderson story, just to say that, but the, that, that it, that these three different Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, while you were a student taking advantage of the experience as a student, contrasting what you saw with your own, you know, you, you grew up in Irvine, mm -hmm. you know, which, is not the hotbed of poverty in America. Um, but at the same time, you yourself are a first generation college person. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you're raised by wonderful parents who are first generation high school. So you have a in my lifetime experience of education opening up horizons. Yes. And, and, 
how could you how could you have that be for others right yeah absolutely i um i did grow up uh you know my like i said my my parents very very loving the most supportive um they're my heroes and they are their first generation high school graduate and they sacrificed everything to make sure that my brothers and i could get a get an education and um so i was the the first and only college graduate and certainly the first to get an MBA. And so I am so grateful to them that they made those sacrifices for me. And so I don't have children yet. Um, and right now I think I can make a difference. I, I graduated Anderson and, and got a nice salary and it was probably more than anyone in my family has ever made. And that was a very humbling experience for me. I was really proud of myself and thought, wow, Anderson was so worth it. Look at what it's done for me. But at the same point, same time, I thought, well, maybe I should pay it forward and help someone else. So many people have helped me. Um, and so I try to pay it forward, you know, whether someone's talking to me about going to Anderson or they are interested in Experian or Boston Consulting Group or consulting in general, happy to talk to those students, but I wanted to do more. And I really think that if you're going to do something philanthropic, it should be fun. It should be something that you like. And so there are a lot of amazing nonprofits and charities out there. Um, for me personally, I love traveling to uh, the kind of off the beaten path. I like going to the Middle East and Africa. I like learning other languages. Uh, I like going places where normal people don't usually spend their vacations. And for me, that's fun. It's exhilarating. Um, and if I can do that and also bring these toys for the kids, like, I mean, it's just win, win, win across the board. I'm getting a great trip and a great experience the joy that I take and the photos that I take, those memories, they, I get to keep those forever. And, and then I, I get to think and wonder what are, what are those kids going to do with that? Are they going to go ahead and, and pay that forward one day? Um, and they'll think about the incredible stories that they'll have, right? Someone brought a, a book or a soccer ball into their village or someone helps them. There's so many people um, who go on to do great things and those who turn around and, and reach down a hand to help someone else. I think, um, it's, it's really rewarding for everyone and it creates a nice, a nice cycle. So there's, there's lots of people who are doing great things in Africa. Uh, what I have learned is that the problem is much bigger than all the wonderful people combined who are trying to help it. And so I wanted to throw my hat in and see what can I do? Well, I can travel there. I can start this 501c3. It is, you know, it's my nights and weekends um, thing. I have a day job because I am very, very determined. I will never take a penny from Suitcase of Joy. This is all for the children. Um, but the reward I get and the experiences I get are make it well well worth it. Well, you know, maybe somebody's listening like, well, that doesn't sound super safe. I mean, you had an experience once that didn't go well. You know, mm -hmm. like, how do you maintain your personal safety as you? through what my mom is going to think when she sees this. So I started traveling alone. I don't recommend this, um, but you know, it's pretty adventurous. A Anderson taught me to do things that um, I didn't think I could do and to take on challenges and to figure things out. And um, I figured out how to be kind of a scrappy, uh, self-reliant traveler. And so I, I went to Africa alone. And I realized pretty quickly that maybe not the best idea, especially when giving things to children. So in the villages, it was so wonderful. The adults stood by and watched and, you know, uh, while the kids came and, and took things from my backpack and I handed them out. And 
was very wonderful, warm, very safe experience. In slums in Nairobi, very different experience. And I learned very quickly, you shouldn't put your phone and valuables in the same bag that you're handing out toys, you know? Um, and so my phone was stolen. It was alone in, in Nairobi and I had to figure out how to first contact my family, went to an internet cafe to have to email them. I'm alive, don't worry, I'll be home in three days and figure out how to get myself home. And so that made it a little adventurous. And so now um, I'm married now. And so I don't think I'm gonna get to go to Africa by myself anymore. Um, but I will bring my board members and I'm, my husband's gonna come when he can uh, for work. And it's, it's safety in numbers. And I realize it's also, easier to get to capture the moments. If one person's handing out toys, kind of get flooded by kids. Um, it would be great to have another person there to take photos so I can get really good photos um, and someone there for safety. So I think there's definitely safety in numbers. Um, but if you are, if you want to travel somewhere and you, I just thought I started traveling in my MBA. I didn't meet my husband until after uh, about a year after I graduated Anderson. And I thought, life is too short to sit around and wait. I'm gonna go make these dreams happen. And I traveled in nice Anderson groups for the most part. And let's see, can we can we share screen? Can we see your website? Would that be Absolutely. okay, great. So this is our this is our website. This photo makes me so happy. The faces on these little children. Um, what really was remarkable is how grateful they were for the smallest gift. Um, I remember in, in some villages, I, so many kids came, I just, I gave everything I could carry with me that day and I, I ran out. And so I started taking, instead of pat, a thing of crayons, I started giving out individual crayons to children. Look at their faces, look how grateful they are. Um, it makes me so happy. And uh, so, so this is, you know, this is our mission to bring joy and education to children around the world. Here's one of the soccer balls that Jacqueline donated uh, and Look at how great these kids are that they've got, they, I don't know if you can see, but the, some of them have their little brothers and sisters on their yeah. backs as they're chasing the soccer ball. The adults, I got pictures of the adults chasing the soccer balls. They were, they had so much fun. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll get a soccer star out of that village one day. Um, so yeah, so this is our, our website. We've got our history here of how we started just an, an Anderson alumna who thought she could take some toys. And like you see, I get flooded by the kids. It's a really fun experience. Um, I honestly cannot wait for travel restrictions to get lifted so I can go back to Africa. Um, and this is our vision to empower children to obtain that education like I was talking about so they can break that cycle of poverty. Uh, so we have three goals to spread joy, to sponsor education and to build schools. And um, so that's our, that's our vision and our mission. And, uh, and we're steadily working towards that, which is really exciting. It's, um, this is not my day job, and, uh, but it's something that just gives me hope and inspires me every day, and it's, it's fun for me. So um, these little faces, are so, they're so precious. So this, you know, this is our website. Feel free to come. It's, it's suitcaseofjoy.org. Like the name, it's just a joy. But anything else about Suitcase of Joy? If people would like to participate or learn more, they go to... Um, you know, I, I can share one photo. It's my favorite trap. So as you know, through Anderson, I traveled quite a bit. My absolute favorite travel photo or travel memory is right here. This is in a village in Kenya. And this is the chief. After I gave away all the toys that I had, most children in the villages and the slums, they either just, you know, disappear or they go off playing. Um, these children lined up one by one to shake my hand and say thank you. And it could make me cry if, if I, I talk too much about it. 
um, there's nothing like, for me, that experience of seeing how grateful these kids were. And of course, you see their gratitude and their happiness and you just want to give more. And um, so that was definitely my travel highlight of all the places that I've been. And um, I, I want more and more experiences like this. This is in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And I had, I got a UCLA hat and some mugs and stuff. And I took it and that, um, that little boy loved that hat. So he got to keep it. Isn't that cute? Oh, that is awesome. Talk about pay it forward. Um, and so I took it and the kids in the slums, they were screaming, screaming. I wish I had a video, screaming with joy. I mean, they, I, I don't know if they've ever received a gift like that before. And so he's, he's probably wearing that UCLA hat there in Nairobi. I love how you said, you know, I, I run out of toys and all I have left is a smile. And yet, you know, when we, when we connect with another human being, we're connecting with another human being and there's something very sacred about that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a rewarding experience. Yeah. I get a little verklempt also. Uh, I had a mission trip. I told you I won't spend too long, but I had a mission trip to Tijuana last summer with, with our church group, with my 12 year old, now 13 year old. And uh, the day we handed the key to our, our family, they asked me to say the benediction and but my Spanish is pretty good, but I don't have a lot of praying Spanish, but when they received the keys and we went back to the campground, I, I, I had this weeping spell for about 30 minutes. I just couldn't stop weeping. I thought about my sister who's passed and thought about my mother and father. And you know, that you always hear the cliche that when we give, we receive, when we receive, we give. Um, but it, it changed me for the better. Mm -hmm. And um, and I love your story because I, I speak with many, many people who have, they have the intuition of philanthropy and then they have the reality of being 28, 30, 32 and getting started, right? I'm, I'm still in the striver chapter of life, mm -hmm. but that deep, quiet voice in me wants to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So I was so happy to get to tell your story because I think this this conscious, this conscious realignment of the chronology that I'm not going to wait until someday. I'm going to take an action within the constraints of my moment now against this bigger vision. I, I think there's something so powerful about that in what you're creating with Suitcase of Joy. And oh, by the way, and I guess this can be our segue, you've also used that to reinvent your career. So not to tell the whole story of your pre-MBA and during MBA, but you, you doubled your salary during MBA, during your time here and then yeah. launched yourself into a, a leadership program and then stepped away from, you probably could have gone with Experian for many more years, but you, you've heard the call for private equity, for investing, for mergers and acquisitions, and now you've placed yourself into one of the premier post-MBA destinations with BCG. So, um, you know, give people some of the lessons that you've learned because you, you do a lot of this begin with the vision and then work your way toward it. So, so I, I went to Anderson. I was a career explorer, did not know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I knew I wanted to do something great. I, I wanted to be a CEO and I wanted to be a philanthropist and I had no idea how to get there. And I thought an MBA is going to open up the doors. It's going to give me that business background. That's going to be applicable to any job, any business area, any industry. Um, so out of Anderson, I, I was recruited by Experian. I joined their leadership development program 
cannot recommend that more highly. That program was absolutely incredible. You interviewed me, I think it was oh, about- Oh, excuse me, I interrupted, I'm so sorry. Oh, was... no, no, please interrupt. Um, so it was a um, year and a half program. Yeah, okay. Think ended, I think it's now 21 months, but it, my, when I joined, it was a year and a half. When you last interviewed me, I was about three months into the role and I was listening to that podcast and I realized, wow, there was still quite a lot for Brittany to learn about Experian and I was kind of uh, laughing. Um, it was a great, great program. So the leadership development program was sort of like being an internal consultant, worked on strategic projects, uh, interfaced with C-level, the C-suite. Um, I worked on some high-level strategy projects, some acquisitions venture investment, um, really got to see a lot of the business experience has a lot of different industry verticals and does more than just, you know, the credit bureau that you think of in America. And was uh, coming out of that program, I was promoted into a director of strategy level where I led a team. It was my first time being a direct manager. Uh, not only did I have direct reports, um, I, they had direct reports. And so I had this team I had to manage and there was definitely a learning curve there. It was a great experience. I, I loved everyone I worked with. I stay in contact with all of them. Um, it was a difficult decision to, to leave. I, I stayed in that role. I was at Experian for three years. Okay. Year and a half in the leadership development program, a year and a half in the director level role. Um, and I realized that I was very passionate about mergers and acquisitions, venture investments, private equity investment. And that's when I decided to join Boston Consulting Group because I wanted to get experience in other industries. So uh, since joining Boston Consulting Group, I've, you know, I've worked for the Fed, I've worked with uh, large healthcare companies, uh, private equity clients, uh, technology companies. So I've really managed to get a lot of experience. You, you learn a lot in a consulting um, position and, and get a really broad range um, of experiences and work with very high caliber people. And I've learned a lot about creating frameworks and how to break down complex problems into manageable pieces. And I think this is something that I, I do with my dreams. I did this at Experian while I worked on projects is taking something that's big and complex and breaking it down into its sort of essential elements and then figuring out how, what actions need to be taken. Um, so that was, that's been my journey. I've been at Boston Consulting Group for now um, about a year. Uh, primarily focusing on private equity and M&A consulting, but like I said, I've worked in other industries as well. Really want to broaden my my experience across uh, those different industries and verticals. Um, I'm very passionate about investing, so one of my goals, and you know, if you interview me in four years, it'll be really interesting to see if this has changed or not, but my goal is um, to start an investment fund for private equity and venture capital that invest in entrepreneurs and businesses in emerging economies. So I think there's so much opportunity there. So not only Suitcase of Joy, of course, we're going, it's completely philanthropic. Uh, we're doing it because it's joyful. And frankly, Suitcase of Joy gets me up in the morning. It gives me something to live, live for and to feel excited about. Um, because for me personally, Dylan, what do I gain if I become, uh, you know, a partner at BCG or a CEO or a principal investor, and I haven't helped other people, I think, um, I, I think personally, I would find that not fulfilling. And so by having this something that I'm doing that's bigger than myself, it really gets me up in, in the morning, gets me excited. Uh, so now, so now my goal, like, to, to finish my point, my goal is to invest in these emerging economies with a for-profit investment fund that invests in entrepreneurs and businesses and helps bring 
economies and build up these economies in these uh, emerging markets. And I find um, investments and transactions really interesting. I've been uh, working on that for the last couple of years and, and find that fascinating. Again, was not aware of mergers and acquisitions, investment banking, venture investment before Anderson. Even during Anderson, I was just starting to learn these things. And so it's amazing how you get that education, that MBA, and you get into these jobs. You can you can create opportunities for yourself. And that's something I've tried to do is realize that I find, you know, X, Y, Z, I find mergers and acquisitions interesting. Let me go talk to the head of mergers and acquisitions. Let me talk to our chief investment officer at Experian and, and see how I can get involved. Um, and I've done that through my career. I find that you can, you can chart a, a path for yourself and figure out where you want to go and, and the steps you need to get there. And that's what I've, that's what I've done and that's what I'm doing now is I want to see how can I create an investment fund that we get these kids educated and bring them the joy. Now they want to become entrepreneurs. How do we build up the economies in these areas? There's so much potential in emerging economies and there are definitely investment funds that are, are trying to, to capture that and help promote those economies. And I want to be part of that. And there's two elements I'm listening for because I'm, I'm looking for bridges. I want, I want our new students to, Yes, be inspired by Brittany, but also, you know, paint my numbers. What's an actionable step? Okay. As you entered, you were a French major. You're a French major at Pepperdine. And, and you have a love of language and you're, you know, you're sort of greetings level conversant in many languages and you can go deep in several. But you didn't spend a lot of your time at Pepperdine um, running statistical analyses or so. You know, you self, you very generously shared. I would have, of course, forgotten that maybe your quant score wasn't exactly the highest on your GMAT back in the day. One, one, one thing I want to try to bridge from your story into, into paying it forward to our, our new students and future students, I want people to don't, don't gloss over a deficit, right? If I have a deficit, I can redress that. I can, I can give myself patience and time and I can, I can catch up because there is an MBA level skill set that you want to be very confident in by the time you graduate, but you don't have to walk in the door with all of that. You can build as you go. Mm -hmm. I think what I hear as I have gotten to know you over the last five or six years is there's this continuity of let's try. Like you, you said, do something now. Don't have to know what you're doing before you start because that anyone can practice starting before you have it all figured out. That's a work habit mm -hmm. and it's, it's served you, it served you so well. So um, how do I make that platitude into a practice that yeah. someone could literally practice? So I'm sorry, this is not even a question. This is like Dylan trying to figure out what makes Brittany so cool. Cause there are many, many things that make you really cool. And I don't, that's a, that's a non complete descriptor, but you're, 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 you're walking the walk, you're talking the talk. So, and, and I want, I want people to not just be like, well, she's just unique, but rather, oh no, she did something. So <laughs> that's a gazillion words. This is, so this is great, Dylan. I, I think you're capturing it really well. So pre MBA, I was a French major working for an engineering firm and I thought I was dumb because I'm not an engineer and it's not how I think. And I remember, and we, I talked about this in the first podcast, I thought about going back to school and becoming a chemical engineer. Well, even if I could get into an, a chemical engineering program, who knows how well I would do, but I certainly wouldn't love it. That's not what I'm passionate about. It's not my gift. 
And so I think there's sort of two schools of thought. And one is to identify those areas for development and work on them and improve them. And at BCG, we call them AFD, Areas for Development. And you absolutely should do that. Work on those areas. And you might find, like I did at Anderson, I love global macroeconomics. I love finance, but I just hadn't been exposed to it. So mm-hmm. work on those areas for development. Don't be afraid of them. But also play to your strengths. You know, the, the sort of strengths finder concept is what you're really good at. If you work on that, you'll be even better and you can be an outlier. Um, and so I try to look for those areas. I think of it as like a Venn diagram, things that I like, the intersection of that and things that I'm good at, and then where I can make a difference. And for me, making a difference could be making a difference in my team or the company, the bottom line, but also having a bigger impact. So at Experian, I really embodied around the fact that we are trying to expand access to credit for people, whether they're, you know, in a poor area in uh, California or in Africa or anywhere in between, trying to expand people's access to credit so they can, they can improve their lives, take out those student loans, buy that house, whatever, achieve those dreams, right? So I think that you want to build on those strengths and build on those areas for development, I think. And, but don't neglect what really makes you happy. So the intersection of those three things is really going to be your sweet spot. It's something that you like, something that you're good at, and where you feel like you can make an impact on whatever that impact is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we all need a paycheck. And so you should be making impact in, in your company in whatever way. Um, to make yourself a nice life. But if you can even broaden that and help other people, how rewarding that is. Um, And for me, I I think I identified areas that I was good at that I wasn't really passionate about. And then there were areas that I was very passionate about and knew nothing about, or some of them were passions that I discovered through Anderson, through exposure. And I think you shouldn't be afraid of what you don't know. Um, And so at Experian, at Boston Consulting Group, I would be faced with a challenge. And I realized we have so many resources available online that if you don't know something, you can get smart on it really quickly. I am the master of Googling. I cannot tell you. Sometimes I used to joke and say, I'm a professional Googler. Like this is what I do. I Google, find whatever the answer is, and I figure out how to do it. Um, that, I mean, if you're talking about a hack, There's so much information. There's so many people who have gone before you. You can learn from them. And I think you don't necessarily need to know all the steps to get somewhere. So I want to build schools in Africa. And one of the first responses someone asked me is, don't you need government approval to build a school? I'm going to cross that bridge when I get to it. And fortunately, I have some contacts with people and I'm expanding my contacts in Africa. I'm going to figure that out, but I am not going to let not knowing if I can determine if I'm going to, right? If I raise the money, someone's going to let me build a school somewhere. And there's plenty of need in Africa. So if it's not in Kenya, there's Tanzania, there's Zimbabwe, there's Zambia, there's so many countries in Africa that I'm not going to let that deter me. And so I think not, for me, not being afraid of what I don't know, that comfort with ambiguity that we always talk about Mm -hmm. um, is really important because you can learn and you can get fast, uh, smart on something really quickly. I learned that Boston Consulting Group. I'll find out on Friday. I'm going to be on a case on a Monday. Be, you know, learning and researching. And by Friday, we're giving a client report. And it's a 50, 100-page deck of really smart things. But that's the power of putting, using your MBAs, 
pulling together a team and uh, using all those resources that are out there. So it's nothing really is impossible, right? When you have that, when you have that mentality. But, you know, sometimes people, I think, sometimes people can be so conservative with their MBA journey that they, they basically get a raise. Mm. And you don't need an MBA to get a raise. Mm-hmm. Right. T- take the boss to lunch, learn the boss's, you know, wife and children's names. Uh, you, there's a lot of ways to get a raise. Do really well on your job work, you know, 10% harder than everybody else. There are lots of ways to get a raise. That's not what an MBA is for. An MBA is a toolkit to be CEO of your own life right. for the next three or four decades. It's transformative. It's, yeah. So, so it, and I, 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 I do gravitate to the unicorn stories. You're one of them. And I, but I don't want to intimidate people. Rather, I want to inspire people. And, and what I hear, what I observe, not it, it's, yes, I hear it, but I also observe it is you know, anybody in your generation could have gone on seven global exchanges, but only you did that. Any one of us could put toys in a suitcase and go to a, a developing part of the world and, and give away joy. But you're the only person I know who did that. So I'm not saying for people to do what you did. I am suggesting to people to get the biggest MBA outcome, mm-hmm. you know, do the thing that scares you, do the thing that calls you, uh, you know, but if, if you, you have to let go of some of your old life mm-hmm. to give yourself the space to, to create your next chapter of life. So that, that change it, Adaptability. I think that's one of the things that I really wanted to just spotlight for now, right now, MBAs and future MBAs, you know, like be willing to let go of what your safety zone might be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I like your, your, your contrast of, you know, AFD area for development. That's great balanced out with, but I'm also really good at this and the world yeah. pays for this. So, you know, it's the Michael Jordan, right? He tried baseball. That was interesting. He came back to basketball and won three more championships, right? He was, he was okay at baseball, but he was really good when he did what he was best at. And the world, you know, could not get enough of his excellence in that arena. I think of the MBA as a launching pad. It's giving Mm -hmm. you that framework and that foundation that you can be a rocket ship and go wherever you want to go, but it's giving you that solid foundation that you really need. Um, And it's so, so incredibly valuable for me. I, I would say that no one should be intimidated of me. No one thought I was less qualified to get into Anderson than I was. Um, you know, I, I remember when you interviewed me, I had the lowest acceptable math score, quant score on the GMAT. Very humbling. I was very embarrassed by that. But hey, I got in and I actually really like finance. I just hadn't been exposed to it. And so um, I think don't be afraid of where you're not perfect. Be, be willing to, to work and explore and see where you can improve. And those areas where you're passionate and those areas where you're excited and those strengths that you have, build on those because those are where you're really going to shine. Um, I'm never going to be the world's uh, best data scientist. I, I led a team of data scientists, but I was not the data scientist, and that's never going to be my skill set. And so I think for many years, that bothered me. I'm not an engineer. I'm never going to grow in this company if I'm not an engineer. Well, Brittany's never going to be an engineer. I'm never going to be a data scientist. And even if I worked my whole life, I'd probably be adequate if at best but I'm not passionate about it. But what about the things what I, that I am good at? And I think one thing you learn in strategy is strategy is not just figuring out what you're going to do, but it's figuring out what you're not going to do. 
and identifying what those are. And so for that can be in your career, your personal life, or even just your day. These are the important things that really matter to me um, and going out and figuring out how you're going to achieve those. And for me, I could spend all the time in the world trying to be that data scientist or that engineer. I'm just not going to get there, but I have no problem going to a country that I've never been to by myself where I don't speak the language and figuring it out. Learning languages is a strength of mine. And I've learned that apparently, you know, that's a little bit unique and I like it. So great. Let's see what I can use that for. I should use that in my job. I should use that in uh, my fun adventure travel and use that to help other children in, that I meet, you know, those children whom I meet in my travels. Uh, any student or prospective student can identify those areas, but some of them come with time. I definitely didn't know where I was gonna be when I started Anderson. When you interviewed me four years ago, I was already a graduate and had no idea what was gonna open up. And I'm sure if you interviewed me four years from now, 10 years from now, I'll be doing different things. But that philosophy remains. I'm not going to be scared of what I want, you know, of what I can't do. No one has a more untraditional path to MBA or consulting <laughs> than I do. And I say that with pride now because yeah. it's, it's a little scrappy the way I got there, but I figured it out and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And I felt so intimidated and so afraid. I was afraid to even go to those um, you know, the on-campus recruiting, the OCR, networking events with the iBankers, the investment bankers and the consultants, they understood this world so much better than I did at that point. And I felt so intimidated and I didn't think I would ever fit in. Well, I do now. And I figured out how. And so anyone can do that if they're determined enough. And I think what's really important is figuring, well, what do you want to do? And figure out the necessary steps and kind of back into it. Um, and it's not, it's not going to be, maybe it's not consulting for some, it's not data science engineering for me, but figure out where you play to your strengths and then build those, build those skills. Look at people who are above you and what, what are they good at? What, what skills don't you have and figure out how to fill in the gaps. And it's a little scrappy, but it gets you there. Give my dreams oxygen, let my dreams, let them manifest and then work backwards from that vision that I see in the future all the way back to right now, what's, what am I going to do today, this week, this month, this year? And any of us, any human being on the planet has the skill set to do that. We're, we're oh, with imagination. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everything, everything that gets built, gets built twice, once in my brain and then a second time in reality, that, that, that platitude or that cliche. That's right. I like that. So, uh, okay, so let's, let's, do the, let's do the cold calculating, you know, when, when people say, well, tell me about the ROI for your MBA. And it could be the financial aspect, it can be the experiential aspect, it can be the opportunity aspect. But, I mean, we did talk about the brass tacks, uh, you know, and how long it took you to pay off your MBA. But a lot of people are, it's like, a, you know, people have undergrad debt. It's an uncertain, it's an uncertain world right now, you know, jobs wise. So when you look back at the fork in the road, law school business, I did business, here you are four years later. So how do you evaluate the ROI of your investment in yourself? I think those three things that you just mentioned, Dylan. So one is, is definitely financial. People will talk about the ROI. Business school is not uh, inexpensive. It, it is a big investment. Um, and for me personally, I had student loan debt from undergrad and I had to pay for my graduate school. So um, it took me 10 years. I paid off in 2017 my Pepperdine student loans. 
and it took me less than four to pay off Anderson. I finished paying them off earlier this year, which was such an incredible relief. Thank you. Thanks. Um, it, <laughs> we should have, there should be like commencement or something when we get our loans out the door. That oh, should... it's such a great feeling. It's such a great feeling. And I think that was really determination on my husband, uh, Patrick and I, we really determined we want to pay these off. We're going to pay them off aggressively. And uh, we paid off quite a bit last year and finished paying off um, earlier this this year in, in 2020. Um, that's, a, that's a great feeling. So financially, I before I started Anderson and the time I graduated Anderson and was starting that leadership development program at Experian, I had already doubled my salary. Yeah. And that's just the beginning, right? Um, so I've received promotions since then. I've now gone on to Boston Consulting Group um, and probably doubled my salary since then. And so the ROI, Definitely, definitely. When you look at it um, financially, and it was certainly worth it. Then you think about the opportunities that an MBA, especially an MBA from UCLA Anderson, having that pedigree on your resume just opens doors and gives you credibility. And like it or not, that it just opens a lot of doors. And um, there are plenty of smart people who don't have these degrees, but when you have it, the network that you have, the education that you get, the doors it opens, um, it's so magnified. And I definitely have appreciated having that in my career, opened the opportunity to go to Experian. I mean, nothing in my career after Anderson was anything like my career before at Anderson. Yeah. There's just, there's almost no comparison. Um, I didn't understand business. I had my head down. I was doing my job and I was doing it well. And, uh, you know, had a great boss there who cared about me. But after Anderson, I mean, sky was the limit. I uh, understood things that I, I had not experienced before. I uh, learned all of these great skill sets about how to approach problems. The Global Access Program, that, that cornerstone consulting project that we do as uh, MBAs, or well, the FEMBA group at least, we work on these consulting projects, breaking down a real-life business problem and building a business plan and a financial model and setting a strategy and then achieving that strategy with the company. It's such great experience. And I, I repeated that over and over again at Experian anytime in that internal consulting role. And I still do it at Boston Consulting Group. It's you break down this element and I just go back to grad school and think about what I learned through that very practical knowledge, skill building experiences that I had at Anderson um, so yes, financially definitely worth it. Opened up so many career doors. And for me personally, it gave me confidence that I didn't have. Um, I started thinking that I was dumb um, and I'm not dumb. I'm just not the, a genius in everything, right? And everyone has their gifts where they're, they're gonna be more gifted than in others and they should build on those and, and not be afraid of those other things. And so it um, completely worth it, so rewarding um, and and just what a great achievement to have gone through a program like that, a two or three year program, be able to say, I did it. And you have that with you forever. No one can take that from me. Um, that's a, a source of, of pride and achievement for me. Yeah, I hear so many of these interviews. I hear, you know, we, the, the imposter syndrome, you know, you, mm. you, called it, you know, you called it dumb. I, I always tell people my experience at Chicago, I was the second youngest out of the 550 people in my class of 95. And I, you know, I felt like everyone's younger, shorter, slower <laughs> kid brother. I really felt, you know, and I'm the oldest of three. 
So I, I really, I literally felt I've never had the experience of being a younger sibling, mm -hmm. but I had the experience of every single person here is taller, <laughs> smarter, <laughs> faster, stronger, <laughs> you know, and, and it was almost, it was, there's, there's, there's that border between humbling and humiliating, right? And it, 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 it kind of drifted towards, you know, like, was I the admission mistake? And, and, and I like to tell people, I like to self-disclose that because I like to create a safe space because, you know, yourself, Diego Benitez, Susan Francia, the Olympic gold medalist, all these, I, I talked to all these unicorns. Maybe Diego didn't have that, but everybody else does, you know, like, and, but that's okay. And, and I think, I think part of the superpower of the NBA is a comfort with ambiguity. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and I, business leaders have to develop that. And now you are now coaching. You're now a consultant. You're, you know, McKenzie, BCG, Deloitte, however you want to define the big three, you know, you're in the running, right? And now you're actually, now you're the go-to person. Now other business leaders come to Brittany for analysis and clarity and visioning and next steps. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's humbling and rewarding. So I had a very dramatic shift of thinking while at Anderson. And I was, I definitely had imposter syndrome, was telling myself that I, I wasn't enough. And I switched and started telling myself things that I wanted to be true that weren't true yet. And it was a complete reversal. And it was something really difficult for me. It's even hard for me to talk about it now because it's sort of a humbling thing to do, but to look in the mirror and say, you are smart, you are enough, you are whatever I wanted to be. I am a consultant, I'm an investor, I'm, I'm a philanthropist. And I started speaking positive words, those words of affirmation to myself and started telling myself, I can do this. And, and I can, anyone can. But I think if you keep with that defeatist imposter syndrome mindset, that you, you probably won't. You might have all the skill sets and all the resources in the world, but if you don't yourself don't believe in yourself, who else is going to, first of all, who's going to follow you if you don't even believe yourself? Right. Um, right. And so that I had this dramatic shift in thinking, and it was really a discipline that I had to learn and teach myself that of saying positive things. Now, my husband and I do this all the time. We'll catch ourselves saying something negative. And we're like, oh, I'm not very good at this. And I will, at that moment, I've trained myself to say, wait, no, actually, I'm good at that. And I will say it even when I know I'm lying through my teeth. I'm not good at that. It's something I struggle with, and whatever it is. But I start speaking what I want to occur. And then I start chasing that goal. That mindset is, I have found, is really that self-affirmation, positive thinking, figuring out what your goal is and going and getting it and saying it even before it happens is really powerful. And that really helps me. Um, and so I started doing that. I'm an MBA. I'm a consultant. I am whatever it is. And I started um, believing it. The more I said it, the first time you're going to feel like a complete imposter. If you right. say something that isn't true, that you wish were true, but is impossible, nothing's actually impossible. If you work hard enough and you have if you're dedicated and have those, uh, you dedicate the resources. And um, of course you have to think strategically, decide what you're gonna focus on and what those goals are. But if you think positively that you can do it, um, you're gonna be so much more successful and happier as a result. And so I think that confidence building, Anderson gave me so much confidence and I'm still, you know, have to, not that I'm a super confident person, I would say, I'm really struggled with feelings of inadequacy and Anderson helped me 
and having that MBA gave me confidence, but not that I'm an overtly confident person. This is why I practice, uh, you know, kind of practicing what I preach. Um, saying what I want to accomplish and then going out and getting it. You have to be a little bold Very. to actually let go of, because we all have a version of that imposter syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good for her, you know, but it's like, like, it's like, am I willing to let go of the mindset, my pre-MBA mindset that a good raise is 15% or even 20%? Like, mm-hmm. that is a good raise. Am I willing to let go of that? Because if I let go of this, this which I've built so hard with mm-hmm. so much effort to this moment, there's yet something bigger waiting for me beyond that. Like, yes. you didn't, you didn't stair-step to a double salary and then stair-step to another double salary outcome in the five years between the middle of, you know, like the middle of Anderson, first three years out, fourth year out, these stair steps didn't happen because you got better at doing what you were already doing. Mm -hmm. You actually let that chapter complete in service of now I'm going to open a new chapter, Mm -hmm. new, new playground, new, 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 new challenges. And so like, you know, but that's like, Oh, that's courage. And we talk about drive change, think fearlessly, share success, drive change. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you want a 10% raise, you don't need an MBA. If you want to reinvent yourself, you want to listen to Brittany's other podcast and then replay this podcast and ask, what is that woman doing? And why where can her journey like become well, you know, there, there are practices that you've been sharing, and, and that's because we can practice a little bit every day times a thousand days, unimaginable results, incremental right. change, compound interest, all of right. those you know, you chip away, you chip away, you chip away, mm-hmm. and you're letting go of the old and you're verbalizing and, and visualizing the new. Like yeah. I, I can see now, oh yeah, I know somebody who's, who's working on becoming somebody who funds schools in Africa. Like I now have someone in my professional sphere, you, who is that? Because you said that, you said that on tape, on a, in a digital recorded broadcastable manner, I don't know which comes first, chicken or the egg, right? And, and I hear you saying, I'm going to consciously reverse the chicken and egg thing. Yeah, I, I think it starts, and for me, it starts mentally. It is. It was taking the limits off of what I thought I could do. I saw other people doing great things, starting companies, starting nonprofits, becoming you know, politicians or leaders or whatever it was, and I admired them from afar and wondered how did they get there and didn't know how I could ever get there. I remember I, you know, I would watch movies and think like, how do people get those kinds of jobs as high powered finance and executive jobs? And I didn't like connect the dots. And I started taking off the limits and it happened about halfway through Anderson. And we, de- we did talk about it in our first podcast, but for those who haven't heard it, I, I changed the way I was thinking. And instead of putting limits on myself, I challenged myself to do something, to take a class I, I was afraid of, to, to, yep. to take those limits off of myself. Anyone can do that. If you are limiting yourself, you're, it's probably going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, right. You can't do something and you're saying you can't do it. Well, you probably won't. And maybe you'll get lucky. But if you start saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, Dylan, I'm going to build schools in Africa. Next time we're on the podcast, I will have built schools in Africa. And, and depending on when coronavirus, uh, you know, allows us to travel, it could happen this year. It could happen uh, in 2021. But that is my goal, and that's what gets me up in the morning. I'm going to make that happen. Now I haven't done it, and it's a, 
it is a it does take a boldness to say it, but I think when you verbalize it out loud, you hear yourself say it, you start figuring out the ways, what do I have to do? I'm gonna need some funds, I'm gonna need some connections, I'm gonna need to find an area where the impact is, we're gonna have the biggest impact and, and um, effect for these kids. You start verbalizing it, taking the limits off, and then you will achieve it. And I, I feel like Anderson did that for me. And there was that pivotal moment where I realized I, when I left my job, I was a FEMBA, I was fully employed and I was getting my MBA at night, decided to leave my job because I didn't, I wanted to maximize that UCLA experience and I didn't want to graduate having been afraid of those classes that intimidated me. And I decided to just buckle down and take them. Um, I audited my finance class. I don't know if I told you that, Dylan. It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. They wouldn't let me retake it. I got a B. They wouldn't let me retake it and for a better grade. And I said, well, can I just sit here? Because I don't feel like I got it the first time. And after I left my job, I did. I sat there and absorbed it. And it all made so much more sense. And that was what I personally needed. Um, and so I think if you're not afraid to be humble, and but take those limits off. So there's this sort of this humbition, right? You want to be humble, but ambitious. I love, I didn't coin the term, but I love that. I, it's not like, oh, I'm so great and I'm so smart. I mean, definitely build yourself up, but at the same time, have humility, recognize that you're not perfect and we're all growing. Um, I think that, that combination of humility and ambition can be really, really powerful. But it starts with telling yourself that you can do it. I just wrote down humbition. This is my, I love when I, when I'm, when I, when the world gives me a new word, I've not heard humbition. Until okay, great, great. So I, I will always know that, that that word was given to me by Brittany, even if it's not your word. So It's not, it's not. I, I got that from a coach. I had an experience and I, love I, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellence without attitude. That one we, mm -hmm. that, that's our old, old Anderson catchphrase from way back in the day. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, that was before share success and think fearlessly. So you may have already answered a favorite productivity hack because I think these mental frameworks that you've consciously built the muscle to live within, now you've enrolled your husband in doing it, you know, like maybe that's already the best productivity hack, but free choice. Anything else in the world of things that, you know, that help you be the high productive person that you need to be? Because, you know, yeah, it is like, okay, Friday, here's your assignment. Monday, you're on the case. Following Friday, you're making a, legitimate water holding business recommendation to a client. I mean, that's a fast paced life. How do you, you know, how do you, anything that's really working for you these days that maybe future MBAs would, would love to know about? Sure. So I don't know if it's that noteworthy or grand, but what works for me is I write down what I need to accomplish. And it's usually on my phone. So I like handwriting it, but I don't often do that. I'll write it down on my phone and then I reorganize and reshift the priority. So First, I, I write it all down. I don't think about the priority list, what's important, what's not. Just the things on my mind that I think I need to do. I like to get it on paper or capture it digitally so I'm not spinning on it, so my mind is sort of free. For me, I think about it like my computer. I want to clear out all the open windows so I can just yeah. focus on what I'm doing. So I capture it all down so I don't have to be spinning on it. And then I look at the list and I think about what's most important and what's going to have the biggest impact. And it's, it's just a strategy exercise of, or prioritization exercise, I should say, is what can I accomplish? Um, what's going to, how much, how much time is going to accomplish? And I sort of organize it. It's not, um, it's not a, a perfect list, but something I've encouraged friends to do who get overwhelmed is write down everything you have to do 
Mm. Put it in the, figure out what the top three most important things that you must do. Draw a line under that and do those three things. And when you've done those three things, come back to the list. There'll probably be more. You might have another, another few things to add. Some things might fall off the list and reevaluate and just focus on the most important thing. And it goes back to that strategy is figuring out what you don't need to do. Um, yeah. and so that's something I learned at Experian and Boston Consulting Group is, um, it's really not about how many hours you're putting in and, you know, you put in a lot of hours and a lot of hard work, but what hours and what actions are going to be the most helpful in finding the answer or getting accomplished, whatever it is you want to get accomplished. So that prioritization list is a really simple, easy way for me to figure out these are things I need to do. I just need to get them off my mind. So that kind of releases anxiety for me right there and then think through what's the most important. I do this with Suitcase of Joy. I do this work. I do it with my personal life. Simple list. Figure out the most important things. Do them and then reevaluate uh, because other things become higher priorities and some things maybe it's a nice to have but really not necessary. You know, in, in BCG, we think about getting to the answer, right? We're doing a private equity case and we're thinking about should we tell them to buy or not to, to buy or not to buy a company? Um, and of course, it's, it's much more sophisticated and we go about it um, in, a, in a way that limits our <laughs> liability. And, but we are essentially, that's the, that's the question. What's, how do you get to that answer? And so there might be a great analysis or financial model that I could build. But if it's not getting me to that answer, it's a nice to have and should be deprioritized. But the really important things must get done. And those are the things that are going to give you that answer. Same thing with suitcase of joy. There are lots of things that I could be doing, but I have limited time. I, I have a full-time job. I have a husband. I have other uh, social things. I, I like to, to work out. I want to fit all these things in. So I think what's the most important thing that suitcase of joy needs today. And I try to do that thing. Um, and that, that just helps me. And it's really simple. I'm, I'm very big on trying to simplify things um, to, to achieve your goals and not trying to do everything. I think as an ambitious person, uh, I see ambitious people do it all the time. I used to do this. I still do it sometimes. You want to do everything and then you end up so scattered. You don't want to actually accomplish anything. I find it much better to do one thing. Well, okay, next, next, uh, next project. So that's something I do. So this has been fun. And I love the idea that we'll talk again in another four <laughs> years or some, some interval in the future. How, how crazy cool could that be? So um, and Lord knows what your life will look like then. Okay, so let's let's wrap up. Uh, anything we should have said, we didn't say. Any acknowledgments, shout outs, mom, dad, husband? Oh, there are so many. Uh, my family has been such an anchor to me. So my husband, Patrick, my parents, my brothers, um, they're my rock and my center. And so, so grateful to them. Very grateful to my board, Kelly Day, Stephanie Buchanan. Um, they were the first to believe in me when I started Suitcase of Joy and posted, first to donate. Um, they give tirelessly and selflessly of their time to support Suitcase of Joy. Everyone has their own job, uh, and they're just doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. I am so forever uh, grateful to them and indebted, and to everyone who has supported me along the way, whether it be the coaches and sponsors and mentors that I've had at Experian and Boston Consulting Group, uh, to those who have given to Suitcase of Joy, uh, people who work at gas stations, to executives, and and everyone in between, it's been really a blessing. And so I'm so grateful for their support. Um, and so, and, and Dylan, of course, I want to thank you and thank UCLA Anderson for changing my life um, in such a powerful way and equipping me with the tools that I needed that now I can pursue my dreams, dreams that I didn't even have while at Anderson, that I can achieve them because of that foundation, that, that launching pad that, that you uh, and everyone at Anderson gave me. So I'm eternally grateful. Thank you. 
I'm really grateful for your time. I know your time is, I don't even want to know what your hourly rate is these days, but um, I appreciate you taking some time on a Friday afternoon that we could tell this, this part two of your, of your ongoing story. These, these last chapters are really, really substantive and they are the chapters that happened during the MBA immediately after. And, and, you know, that first two and four years afterwards. And so, um, you know, all of us, like, what are our, what, what do I want during school, the first two years, the, the next two years, like that seven year window from the start to graduation, those three years that, that, that launch out of the MBA, that sort of relaunch a couple of years after you've gotten your footing. So I think you, you really have obviously a big results kind of story, but you also have shared, shared practices that people could, could try, you know, the visioning, the work habits, the building of alliances, the beginning with the end in mind, the working your way backwards, uh, being willing to put yourself into these, what was it, humbition environments where I'm in a leadership rotation, I'm surrounded by people, I'm doing something I've not done. All of those things are commensurate with stair steps, not not 10% better, but a big stair step. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm in a 100% new environment here. Life is a journey and you continue to learn. Anderson gives you a great foundation, but the learning doesn't stop there. Um, and every day you continue to learn. And that's why I, what I personally learned is I don't have to have all the answers to accomplish that goal if, if you continue to move towards it. And I, I feel like anyone can do that. Just know that you're going to learn along the way. You don't have to have it figured out to get started. And um, I think that's, a, that's um, really powerful and gets me going. And it's definitely, it's, um, it's, a, it's a group collaboration. I, I wouldn't be where I, I am now if it weren't for the people who have helped me. And so that's part of the reason I started Suitcase of Joy. I can't pay those people back. There's not, not a way for me to. And so let's invest in the younger generation and see what they're going to do. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been Brittany Blackamore. Uh, we're going to have several different fun links. Uh, we'll have a link for Suitcase of Joy, obviously. Um, we'll have a link for her LinkedIn profile. Um, we'll have a link back to her, her four years ago podcast if you'd like to hear that or just play this one twice because she said a lot i really I, i'm serious about this you should listen to this twice this is a person you can learn a lot from and and that's why i'm so grateful for your time Brittany, for paying it forward dylan thank you thank you for the opportunity i cannot wait to send you a photo of our first school <laughs> oh my goodness yes yes all right dylan thank you so much thanks Brittany.